Hello and welcome to Learning, Laughing, and Loving with your co-host Evan Money and yours truly, Scott Jones. This podcast is all you need. If you're looking to learn about the world, do it with a smile and to connect to the deeper mysteries of human life and the kind of connection everyone is looking to make. Money, 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 my man, money. Money, Scott Ken Jones, learning, laughing, loving, excited to be connected with you again, my friend. Nice hair, by the way. Oh, uh, it's kind of, I, I haven't washed it. I haven't, like, I haven't, like, I'm, I'm on a kind of no shower. Uh, like, I, there's this great beach in Jersey, um, uh, Seattle City, and they have this, like, beach bar, and they call it no shower happy hour. <laughs> so you just, the idea is to just come off the beach and get, like, a beach cocktail. Like, so this is no shower happy hour, but I'm not at the Jersey Shore. I'm just kind of, um, so, Hey, I want to say you and I are in a club that is semi elite. I mean, a semi exclusive, I guess. So you and I were both guests on drive with us. Mm, yes. <laughs> so uh, my episode came out today and I, I listened to it. I don't do a lot of guesting on podcasts uh, and it was super fun. I can't wait to hear your episode. You didn't, you didn't prep me at all for that. This is what happens when total data-driven introverts decide to have a podcast. And <laughs> it was, so you didn't prepare me. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, just the, these, this is the total, like, anti-people you would think that would want to host a podcast that did host a podcast. And then I, I'm hearkening back to some of our discussions off-air about – you know, should you sign an NDA? Should you not sign an NDA? Right, right, right. right. So I, I went off it just because I'm like, hey, Scott Kent Jones recommended you. I was like, well, Scott recommends that I'm in. I assumed it was something else. And then, oh, here's the NDA. Here's your, send your DNA scan, send your swab, send your retinal scan. I was like, oh, okay. And then what- they were looking for storytellers. And I was like, they were like, look, you were great. Do you know anybody else that would, and I thought, yeah, Evan Money. I was like, I'm sure he'd be fantastic for this. So they said they had a great time with me. And yeah, it was, I, I didn't quite understand it uh, at first. And then I'm like, oh, you guys need all kinds of help. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you the best storyteller side. Um, but, you know, I'm, I applaud them just for their commute times because the, the whole preface of the show was they commute an hour and a half each way every day. So three hours a day commuting. Yeah. And I was like, goodness gracious. But yeah, just so for any introverts that are like, man, I wish I could do a podcast, but I don't, I'm not as eloquent as Scott Jones and I'm not as spazzy as Evan Money. Listen to that podcast. It's and a, you will know and, that you could do it. And they do great best practices. Like, I, I wish I did better at this stuff. They did like, they sent me an email today. Here's an example. You cut and paste this into your Twitter. Mm-hmm. You could cut and paste this onto your Facebook. You could cut and paste this onto your Instagram. Yes. So yes. I, what was I going to do? Not promote it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they made it super easy. Yes. And, and then I got another guest invite for a podcast called Friends in Your Ears. Hmm. Uh, from that. I mean, they were like, hmm. look, we heard you. So it's interesting. I, I, I really want to applaud what you're saying here and and echo it. You might not think you have it. like okay, I don't have the personality to do this. I'm not. These women do a great podcast. I mean, it's it's well produced. It's it's you know they they get storytellers on to carry it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's fun. I mean, I had a really good time. Like it was it was uh, it was a good you know it was a good show. So yes, I I'm super excited to see them. You know, totally out of their comfort zone. Hey, let's do this. And so, but next time it's something like that, you need to warn me, Scott Jones, because I was blindsided and I'm like, 
man, why would he do that to me? So I, I thought it was like an inside joke with you. Like, <laughs> no, I thought you would be great. I thought you'd be great. I was just like, I was thinking like, like, but I should have told you, I should have, I should have warned you like, Hey, like they're, they're looking for kind of, but that's again, this is what I thought of you. I'm like, gosh, you're so high energy. You'll go in there and light the thing on fire. <laughs> yeah. But they were, they, it was, it was the polar opposites, right? Of just like, Ooh, so it's almost, I almost felt like a PR person kind of like in the old days of, of talk, crazy talk shows, like, Oh, you know, here's my guests that I've got all over these great places. I'm going to play a practical joke and, you know, just show up here and do the interview. And they're thinking it's one thing. And then they show up and it's like a, you know, a three ring circus or something else. So totally outside of what I was expecting, but Again, next time, just give me some more prep, Scott Kendra. Exactly. It was fun, though. I mean, and, and I can't wait to hear episode. So. so can I start off with something completely abstract and weird? That's what this show's all about? Actually, it's not that abstract. Okay. It, it would be – It would be the Hegel would say it's not abstract. I came across this article I posted on my Facebook about the German philosopher uh, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. And this guy wrote this piece in The Guardian – and it was titled Germany finds it hard to love Hegel 250 years after his his birth. Hmm. And this guy is probably one of the greatest philosophers of all time and hmm. certainly you could argue most important modern philosopher. At least you could make the argument. And there's a couple people that would maybe say somebody else like Kant or some you know other people but I mean my money would be on Hegel and my money is on Scott Kent Jones by the way. No, I'm not really a philosopher. I'm just like I just play one on this podcast. <laughs> but it's really interesting that like basically part of Hegel's thinking was dialectics so that you're going back and forth. Like, and he thought in a lot of philosophy, they thought, look, if there's contradictions in the premises of the argument, then you got to wait, wait around for something new to happen. He thought, no, if there's contradictions, there's probably some truth in the contradictions. Mm. Mm. And so the, the truth is probably in somewhere in the contradictions. And so it's really interesting that in this article, they talk about at the end of it, this comedian in Germany went to this, uh, and apparently the video, I haven't seen the video yet, but apparently the video of this event went viral. Earlier in August, this German comedian, Florian Schroeder, <laughs> um, took to the stage of a protest of Corona skeptics in Stuttgart, where Hegel was born. Hmm. And in this video of the event that says, again, has since gone viral, the comedian faces the crowd of hundreds who question the existence of COVID-19 and suspect face masks to be a part, a part of a plot to silence their critical opinions, mm -hmm. telling them he wanted to talk about Hegel's idea of dialectics, a method of argument that relies on contradictory process between opposing sides. And then they quote the comedian. He says to them, freedom doesn't mean being irresponsible. Freedom, which only expresses itself as irresponsibility, is the end of freedom, said Schroeder, as the boos grew louder. Freedom means you have to suffer someone like me. That, my friend, is dialectics. Mm. And I thought this, like, it's so interesting because, like, we're, I feel like we're in America, we see conflicts and contradictions as, okay, let's go to our corners. Mm. We're all right. They're all wrong. Mm -hmm. Hegel was often saying, no, and it's, the truth is in the contradiction. Mm. Like, the contradiction is something you don't want to work past mm -hmm. or paper over or try to, or try to, kind of take off the stage but actually maybe in the contradiction is where the truth is and he was famous for these kind of things that seem like opposites you know like master like here's this famous dialectic on the master and the slave well who's really free of course the master but then he's like well 
doesn't the master depend on his sense of freedom by being the master? So is he a slave to the slave in the sense of how free does he feel without his power over the slave? And he kind of like, he does all these deconstructions. Mm. Okay. And I I just wonder like it, it, it's almost like um, therapy, therapeutic thinking. Like, wow. When you see all this noise and you see all these contradictions and you see all these things that seem irreconcilable, maybe they're not. And in fact, maybe the contradiction isn't confusing maybe it's actually clarifying and maybe somehow in the, in the midst of these like kind of, you know, uh, the din of, I love that word, the din, the din of, of all these like tribal arguments, there's actually more truth than we think there is. Ooh, say that again. Within the din of our tribal arguments. I don't think I've ever used that word in a sentence. Din. I, I, I know I have never used it. I know I have never used it in a sentence. I don't know why I did just now, but it came into my head. The din of our tribal arguments, maybe there is more truth than we think. Maybe it's actually there in these sort of contradictory things. Because we all think we're, our views are irreconcilable, right? Like, I mean, Hegel famously said, he quotes that, he quotes the Lutheran hymn, God is dead. Luther was the first person to say that, not mm. Nietzsche. Mm. And, and Luther and Hegel was like, look, what's more opposite than God and death? And yet in the incarnation... These two things are true. They seem like they're opposites. Mm-hmm. What's more opposite than to God than death? And yet, in this contradiction, is the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you're sharing the the comedian and quoting Hegel and all that, my flashback, which has been a theme of the show, going back to uh, Designated Survivor. Uh, I love that. I remember the episode where the the journalist, the hack journalist, puts out the truth that he's un- uncovered and the FBI agent comes in and goes, well, should we arrest him? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. We need to sign him, should we arrest him? The president was like, no, this, he goes, this is what a free society is all about. Yep. You know, it's like, no, we need to, we need to get better basically rather than, all right, let's just arrest him and keep it off the wire. It's like, no, no, this is what a free society is all about. I was like, oh, that is so good. That is so good. But and freedom, of- and freedom is going to make me uncomfortable if yeah. we're really free. I mean, I think this is like one of the things I'm not trying to be parochial or sort of Islamophobic here, but I, I, I do think this is some traditional Muslims when they immigrate to a place like Western Europe find this hard because they think they have a freedom from being offended, mm. right? Which you don't, right? And so like they have tremendous freedoms to express their faith, probably more freedoms than in most of the, a lot of the countries they originated in, right? Like, mm-hmm. and yet it's hard to grasp that it doesn't include freedom from being offended. So if you want these freedoms, you also have to be okay with the French magazine doing a caricature of the prophet on the cover. You know, you have to, you know, you have to be comfortable with the blasphemer to the things you hold dear. Yes. Yes. And that is this, again, we see the train coming and it's boiling the frog, right? The classic, just one degree at a time, but that's where you get the whole hate speech and, oh, you know, this is this, and we can't allow this. And it's like, wait, well, you know, it all, you know, it all goes back to, I think, I'm trying to remember, you would know the the philosopher, the, the classic in Germany, right? Well, um, I wasn't, they said this and they took him away, but I wasn't. Martin Niemöller, pastor. Yeah, say, say it, say it. Yeah, he's like, they first they came for like the, the gypsy and I didn't say anything. And then they came for the Jew and then they came for the communist. 
and then they came for me and no one said anything. Right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Eventually, um, and that harkens back. I don't know if I've shared this, if we've shared this on air, but here's a perfect, perfect. I mean, I'm waiting as a someone who has a a film production company, I'm waiting for someone, one of the big studios, to remake Magnum Force. Now, Magnum Force is a classic 80s, dirty, hairy uh, movie. Uh, but what makes it so great is, you know, classic American Dirty Harry, right? Like, what, what was this classic line? Make my day. Yeah. He's got the giant 357 Magnum. And it's all about, you know, big, bombastic, bully police tactics, right? And all this stuff. And so just the whole Clint Eastwood, that 80s character. But what the movie was so great, the movie was about, was there was these this this criminal underground that nobody knew about. And what they were doing is they were killing all of the top criminals in the city, all of America's most wanted, like mob bosses were showing up. Yeah. You know, they were killing the pimps. They were killing all the street. They, I mean, the big, I mean, the the heads of all of these empires were, you know, mysteriously getting killed. And so at the, as the story winds down, Dirty Harry's like trying to investigate, like who's doing this? What's going on? Da, 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 da. He's trying to put all this together. And it turns out that it's a group of police officers and the mayor of the city is behind it. And so at the end of the big shootout, the mayor's like, Dirty Harry, certainly you of all people, you know, would understand what we're doing here. We're cleansing society of evil, right? All the bad guys that are above the law, right? We're finally getting justice. And he's like, yeah, that's great now, but what happens? Who's next? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the guy that doesn't agree with you is now the next enemy. And even as a kid, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Cause at first I was like, yeah, get the bad guys, get the bad guys. You know, I, I don't know how deep you go into UK comics, but judge dread. I don't know if you've ever. Oh, I love judge dread. Yeah. 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 Okay, perfect. Right. Judge jury guilty. Boom. Done. Right. It's like, that makes so much sense. But then it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, now the enemy becomes someone who disagrees with me. Yeah. And so that's that. I think the ult that's so well put because I see everyone screaming like that's offensive. That's offensive. And it's like, well, that's what a free country is all about. And you see this on, on both populist extremes, right? Like people used to kind of characterize or character the right as, or characterize the right as censorious, but now the left, the populist left has become as censorious or more censorious. Like, like Bill Maher got disinvited from a couple years ago from speaking at Berkeley from some stuff he said about on his show about Islam, like he basically said, he's he's challenging his guests saying, look, you guys are liberals. Shouldn't we defend liberal values just because it's Muslims in a Muslim country doing female circumcision? And then, and then the, the kind of liberal guests were getting tongue-tied. Well, it's multiculturalism. It's And just because he challenged liberals to think liberal thoughts, like shouldn't we be – like he actually was disinvited mm. by the left. Mm. I mean, so this is interesting when the left is disinviting Bill Maher. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they, they already disinvited Bernie. It's like, who's next? Right. Right. Exactly. Like how, well, I always think this too, like political, I don't know if I said this in the podcast, but I have this theory. Conservatives want converts and liberals want purity. So that's why the conservatives will take Trump. Right. It's like, look, he's kind of, you know, yeah, he, he's winking and nod. He's kind of, you know, we're praying over him. He's winking. Okay. I'll pray. To you. Like they don't care because they want a convert. Liberals want purity. And so liberals are slower to take a convert, right? They'd rather have, they'd rather drive out the infidel from their midst and have a, and again, there are exceptions to the rule, but in general, I think that's the way the dynamics are playing out. And that's why you see the kind of cancel culture, right? I mean, the can't, there's a reason why cancel culture emerges from the left because it's a purity instrument, right? Mm. Like it's, 
Well, you're canceled. You you got the thing wrong. You said that even Obama came out against this a year ago. He was like, look, you're not an activist. You're not changing the world by canceling somebody because they use the wrong pronoun or something. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, don't think you're changing the world because you're on social media saying somebody's like, you're not an activist. That's slacktivism. Slacktivism. Yes. Yes. Now, it's interesting to see the free Obama versus the uh, chained Obama to, you know, the whole journey. And I, I still remember uh, it was George W. said this it really resonated with me. He said, you know what I really enjoy about not being president anymore was he goes for the last eight years, every second of my life has been scheduled. Yeah. Like just and we don't even concept that. Right. Like just thinking about the demands of hey, there's a slot for every second of my life. And now I can just be like, hey, I can, you know, well, in the in the, the left side, right? Trump does it now, but Obama's like, I can post whatever I want. <laughs> and I don't have to hear it from the committee, right? Right, I can, right. I can yeah, and I can say, like, and I think especially, I had a friend who had this theory about the Obama presidency, and I think this is probably right. When you're the first black president, you're probably thinking, look, I got to get everything right so there can be a second black president. Right? Oh. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to matter, you know what I mean? Like, and so she was saying, I think Obama kind of like probably had the play it safest mm. kind of presidency in the sense of like, look, I got a lot riding on me. Like, yeah. like, like yeah. if you screw up as a white guy, well, it's still, the lane's still open for white guys to be president, right? They're not going to be like, <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh, George W. Bush got us into Iraq. No more white guys can be president. Uh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. But if you're the first of something, you probably do. Maybe, maybe unfairly. I mean, probably unfairly. Um, but it, it's a reality. I mean, th- there's probably a ton of pressure. And now he and Michelle have a big Netflix deal. Mm. How yeah, fun I knew, is that? I knew she was doing something, but I don't know what 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 he had. So yeah, I you know who he was really good when I when he did like right after he was elected, and I'm sorry, right after right after he was done final term, he did that show with David Letterman. Oh my god, that was so good. I'd that never was seen amazing. Him like that. It, that was amazing. Tell. It was just like. Oh, I can finally be at least part of myself, right? Can just, yeah, they were hilarious. He, I'd never. And, heard and Letterman had a freedom too, because I, yes. I mean, yes. I remember I went to a Letterman taping once in New York. Oh, look at you, Bro. And it was just, it was like, what's well, not that hard? I mean, you just, you, the tickets are free. You just kind of got it. Like a friend of mine got tickets. A secret away. Come on, you'd be like, dude, how's it, Letterman? Yeah. But it looks so stressful. The whole thing looks so stressful, and he looks so stressed, like. And at the commercial break time, he would throw off his jacket and he's kind of like, it's so, I mean, it's so, there's no time for anything to play out. It's boom, 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 boom. I mean, that's why Stern would always say when he would go on Letterman, he would leave like exhausted. He's like, I could never do TV because it's not like here where we can play things out and we can have a cat. Like you can't do that on television. I mean, there's no time. Yeah. Yeah, you have just boom, boom, boom. And so to have Letterman just be there at a theater and being able to like, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to do shtick and he doesn't mm-hmm. have to bring three guests mm-hmm. in. He doesn't have to do top 10 lists. He yep. doesn't have to do all yep. this. Where he can just sit and be himself with this yeah. goofy yep. beard. Yeah. Like he's Moses. Yeah. See, so yeah, the Moses beard. And yeah, just, but to hit, to see those two. Oh, yeah. That was really good for such a time as that. That was, so I don't know what, are him and Michelle doing something together? Or what are they doing? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, they just signed like a deal. Like, I mean, that would be fun. You imagine like you could probably just do whatever you want. But think about that, right? Like where, when else in history, right? Couldn't the president, ex-president, first lady have a show together, right? Like what, right? I love to, I think it was in that interview when like, I think it was in the Letterman thing when Obama was like, somebody was talking to about a book deal. Somebody wants to talk to you about a book deal. 
And he's like, all right, what, what, you know, next 20, he's like, I, president, somebody's going to talk to me. It's like, all right, next 20 minutes. All right. They come into the office. He's like, no, but they, yeah, two weeks from now. He's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, I'm used to if someone's going to talk to me, they're coming in the Oval Office in 20 minutes. <laughs> he's like, it's like, that's the thing too. Like, I imagine if you're the Obamas for eight years, no one is ever late to meet you. Yes. Right. Yeah. If you're the Clintons, the Bushes, no one's now it's like, oh my gosh, are the guests coming? When are they coming? Like <laughs> <laughs> And I and there's joy in that, I bet, of just like, oh, this is cool and the freedom of that. Yeah. Nope. That is but no, just getting back to the whole TV show. Like name any any administration where after the administration was over, they were public figures again. Right? Yeah. Whether, right? Like it was it was just like, okay, you're done. Now you get to relax and just, you know, we'll build your library and you're off. I would, here's a question. Where is the, and we could go dig deep here. Where's the Obama library going to be? Indonesia? I think it's in I Chicago. Think are they going to put in Hawaii? Right. Because that was the whole birth certificate thing. So I think it's in Chicago. Like, Is like, it up we, already? You know, it's amazing. We can find this out. Where is the Obama? Because how long I, until I'm, after? I'm guessing Chicago. I'm guessing Jackson Park, uh, located in Jackson Park on the south side of Chicago. Because that's kind of his adult home. Okay. Like, because he kind of moved there. That's where he met Michelle, did community organizing, ran for state senate. Dude, the political gods too smart. Sometimes the political gods just line up. Like when Obama was running for state senate, the guy he was running against Republican died, <laughs> and they and they flew in Alan Keyes, that black conservative kind of geeky. So it just looked like a token. It looks so weird. Uh, okay, okay. Then he he you know like I forget or maybe that was his U.S. Senate seat or something. But then he ran against two like two white guys that were not the most dynamic. You know, like McCain, Romney. I just feel like. Everything lined up for Obama. Mm. Like mm. He, he didn't like in a way that like nothing lined up for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> 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 just like it was just like Hillary Clinton could not get a break. Like, ah, like yeah. she just could not get a break. I mean, can you imagine you get beat? You're Hillary Clinton. Like you spent your life like you're smart. You raised this money. Your husband's pray. You were first lady. You're senator from New York. College. You have all this money. All these people are your favors. You get beat by a first term two year senator from Illinois. I just and you get beat bad. I mean, like, like you just gotta feel like, oh my gosh, like they're against me. Like I was not <laughs> like there'd been no way. Like if if Satan ran against Hillary Clinton, we would have Satan. We would have had Satan as president. The Lord would the gods would have let Satan be president. Well, I mean, he's not that bad. What do we know? I mean, he gets a bad rap in the press and the Bible. I mean, he's probably not that bad of a guy. He runs an efficient underworld. I mean, he's he's tough on crime. He's tough on crime. <laughs> he, he runs an orderly state and he's tough on crime. I think Satan could beat Hillary Clinton. The, the ultimate spin, right? Like, oh, man, what are we, how are we going to spin this, right? So my, my favorite spin is uh, – you know, there was the biographer. It kind of reminds me of you talking about a, a few of your select clients off the air, but there was a, a biographer. They brought him into this family. And the big issue for the biographer was one of the uncles was electrocuted in the electric chair uh, for murder and on death row. So they're like, oh, what are we going to do about this? So he's like, no problem. I got this. So it says, yes. And then uncle so-and-so had a he had a government position of the strongest ties and <laughs> we kind of did this whole rant on uh, oh yes right he had a government 
he was he was in a government institution with the strongest ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> so that that was the ultimate spin. I was just like, okay, they can spin that. They can spin anything. So. Wouldn't you just want if you were on death row, just shoot me, like shoot me in the head, like? Wouldn't that be a quicker way to go? Like, mm. well, it's, it's interesting. My daughter's doing a paper for homeschool. We have a, a co-op that we work with, and it's one day a week. It's pretty intense. They have to learn Latin, and they now that she's in the high school program, she's actually doing a paper on death row. So, oh wow! And yeah, so she's got to look like, hey, like, and they got to do a paper on both sides. Like, why does it make sense? Why does it not make sense? And what about this? And what about this? So it's very apropos that you ask that. But yeah, logically, for someone who's not on death row, it's just like, oh, yeah, let's do it. But then it's just like, ooh, wait, well, what about that? What about that? And you saw Green Mile, right? The whole thing. So um, I that, just think the methodology is like, it seems like cruel to fry someone. I mean, if you just shoot somebody through the temple or whatever, if you get a good marksman, a Navy SEAL or something, well, no, the old days, remember, they used to do the the, the firing squad. Right. right. So that way they couldn't pin it on one guy, the, the big fat guy with the black thing over his head, right? Like the old, you know, when they used to chop your head off, right? It's like, okay, everyone knows who that guy is. But when you're the firing squad, right, there's seven, ten people, right? Nobody can claim like, oh, that was the guy that shot him. It was like, we all shot him, right? So um, from that aspect, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But that goes back to the Dirty Harry mindset of just like, mm, you know, Taking another life, is it really worth it? And then there's a whole talk we could dive into about prison reform. And it's like, you know what? I, I think you really could, um, you know, and I, I've got all, that's like a five hour episode on what you could do prison reform wise of like saying, hey, instead of just throwing these guys into this new institution that produces, you know, the recidivism rate is like 85%, something ridiculous. So I'm, my bride and I support a, um, really cool nonprofit. What they do, Scott Kent Jones, is they actually have a course. So you can take a course and be an ordained minister when you come out of prison. Nice. And and then they follow along with you to either have you get a job at a church or start your own church in the inner city. um, Because it's all about urban, inner city, that whole thing. Um, And it was like, now this guy, now this guy or guy has direction, right? They have somewhere to go to. They're not falling back in the same track. And I was like, you know what? That makes so much sense. But there's so many other programs that you could do because of all that free time. Right. And it's like, rather than I just want them to throt and throw away the key. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. And and I think also like for-profit prisons are like a big yeah. problem because, because yeah. it incentivizes, like we throw a lot of people in jail for like nonviolent drug charges mm-hmm. when treatment is what they need. They don't need like to be in prison. And, but there's an incentive because you have private prisons. Right. And so you kind of, so it's one of these things. It's like a vicious cycle where, yeah. Yeah, it's almost it's almost as I think it, it we're at that point where it is as ludicrous as debtor's prison, right? Yeah, the whole concept. yeah. Like we're sticking in prison until you can pay. It's like well, this doesn't make any sense. Right? And I think there are certain places. This is interesting. I think there are certain places where the market works really well. Like I think, and I, I tend to be left of center of things, but I think the school vouchers movement is very, incredibly sensible. I think it's an instance where the market can help education because, like, look at like higher education. We have the best higher educational system in the world, and what do we do? We fund schools. We partially fund private schools. We fund students. We fund everybody. Like, and and so you get all this money to go to schools. There are all different sort of religious, non-religious, private, non-religious, private, religious, public, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, where I think the market works would do a lot better if we had it, we injected into education some more and gave people more options. And where I think it, the market is not helpful in prisons, right? Like, because it incentivizes kind of bad laws. Like, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, it is a yeah, and it ju- it's just a breeding ground for everything else. I mean, I've hearkened to find a healthy, you know, prison employee, right? Just because of what what the whole system, the whole cycles, it just creates all these mass dis- destructive fight- cycles. So I know there's definitely a way of saying, hey, let's go back to some biblical restitution of, you know, again, th- there's so many ways you can do it, but the, the current system definitely is broken. And I think now more than ever, we are open to saying, hey, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? Or what if we could do this? But just the fact uh, of the, the organization is called World Impact. But just to be able to say, okay, I, can I take know a- world, I know World Impact. Okay, cool. So just to take a recidivism rate of eighty five percent and get it down to six percent with this, you know, pastors to prisoners concept, it's like okay, what? That's like that guy that Trump had on the first night of the convention where he pardoned him, and he was a guy that studied the Bible, gave his life to Christ in prison, and came out and became best friends with the FBI agent that arrested yes, him. Yes, yes. And he, he does all this work with yes with um prisoners i mean it's just it was a beautiful inspiring story where like yeah. no, no that was better than see, that was better than fiction just the con- they even said he's my best friend right the guy that put me away he's my best friend of just yeah now we're talking now we're getting somewhere yeah yeah the, the possibility of real healing you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the dialectic man it seems like the contradiction the yes. fbi and the bank yeah. robber it seems like white black it seems like oh my gosh these are opposites, but actually in the midst of that contradiction comes a connection. So good. So good. So here we are. We are in, this is like our potpourri show. I used to love that category on Jeopardy. Potpourri, because it could be anything. <laughs> the potpourri show. We are in month wherever of the pandemic. When is it going to end? I already, we already know it's going to end after the election. <laughs> I already know it's going to disappear and it's going to be like, oh yeah. Yeah, because what it, it I guarantee I, I I guarantee right a hundred percent guarantee the after the election it's over but they're gonna and it's so the tail wags the dog so much that now we line up and say watch look look the tail's wagging the dog like it, it's got to that point of audacity where now we're cynical to the audacity instead of you know raising raising arms and rioting. It's just like, look, let's watch the Facebook video of the tail wagging the dog again. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as the election's over, oh yeah, COVID's done, cool, yeah, okay. And no one's going to say boo. It's like, goodness gracious. And it goes back to, I forget who the guy is, wake up America, you know. And you keep telling them, oh, America, info, to info wake wars, up. Info wars. Yeah, wake up America. I mean, after a, a thousands time, it's just noise, right? So yeah, after the election, COVID's over, for sure, guaranteed. I, I, I don't think so. I think it's probably going to be here after the election. I, I don't know, though. But, you know, I think so. I, I look at like the drop in cases as less like a sense that that actually the thing is spreading less. I just think we don't have adequate testing. So people are like, screw getting tested, because really, what good is a test? I stick something up into your frontal lobe mm-hmm. and you feel like you're lobotomized and then you don't get the thing for 10 days. So what does it tell you? Well, 10 days ago, I didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. What, wait, what, okay, thanks. Like, I have some friends at universities right now that, like, I have a friend who's a science writer at ASU. So he can go in every day and get a, he spits in a cup. Okay. And same day, he gets a result. Okay. Like, that's useful. Okay, that's, like, okay. useful because you could open things back up. If we had more of those testings, you know, like, um, like I have another friend who teaches at a university um, in Connecticut, and she said, everybody came in. They had the same day tests. 
and nobody had it. And so ostensibly, if they're careful, they have no infections at this college in Connecticut. So that seems to me like a way, if you could get better testing, you could just open everything back up because people could just get tested. Yes. And if they're contagious, if they have the, if they're positive, they take Mm -hmm. a second test, Mm -hmm. make sure it's not a false positive. Mm -hmm. And okay, I have it. Um, I quarantine, I, I take it again. Like, I, I don't know, but I don't know what we do with like asymptomatic people. Do you, if you're asymptomatic, do you, do you, do you, do you keep it and are you able to spread it? I don't know. No, they're just, trust me. After election, it's going to go away. I, gonna I'm going to email away. this to you, but on the world health, world health organization's website, there is a PDF. It's about 40 pages long and it is the GPMB annual report the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board Global Report that was published in September of 2019. What was the date again? When was it published, Scott? September 2019. Say September 2019. Okay. This is on the World Health Organization website. I, I can send you the full report. I have a, I don't know how to share my screen with Scott Squadcast here, but on the front page of the report, it says September 19. Then on probably about page five or six, it gives you kind of this breakdown of what's in this report. And on the report, it says progress, challenges, and actions. And so these are the things they covered in this report, okay? On page 26 of this report, for this big meeting that they had on September 2019, this big section of this report covers, this is in black and white on the website, Preparing for the worst, a rapidly spreading lethal respiratory pathogen pandemic. Page 26. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that interesting? It's on the World Health Organization website. Like, guess what? It's coming. We've got it here. We're going to put it out. So trust me, after the election, magically, it's going to all disappear. And the tail is going to be the But here's the thing, though. Bill Gates has been saying this for like... Years ago, Bill Gates predicted this. That this is the thing that's going to be. Why didn't we listen to Bill Gates? Because what does that's, that guy know? What is he? The whole next conspiracy theory. Goodness gracious! But I don't want to get. There, there's too many podcasts about that. I want to segue ADD segue right now for our three billion listeners. You wanted to talk about the Dodgers, and we were having an inst- in, little uh, uh, interesting back and forth. So. Talk to me real quick. Your thought about the Dodgers? Then I'm so I okay. So let me tell you why I've become a Dodgers fan. I'm I'm normally like a Phillies fan, but I've I've been pretty lonely in COVID. Like everybody, lots of people, right? Like I'm kind of by myself. And a good friend of mine who is a wonderful guy, wonderful spiritual and interesting guy. He's in Southern California, and he loves the Dodgers. So we would talk on the phone late at night. We talk just like you know, kind of you know, BSing with each other and talking about spiritual things, political things, our lives. And he's a big Dodgers fan. So I found this website, seven, I don't know, some thing where you can watch all the baseball games. You have to, all these pop-up ads, you have to like fight the pop-ups. And the final. So I've sort of like, like taken to rooting for the Dodgers right now. Cause he's like, he's my buddy. He's a huge Dodgers fan. And I kind of get, I'm finding myself getting emotionally connected to the Dodgers for some reason. Like, like I'm kind of like, Oh, did we win last night? Did we, that's like the typical uh, American male, right? Did we win? Well, of course, they did. I didn't put a uniform on. I didn't, I, I didn't guard the plate against the 95 mile pitch. Did we win? But no, that's, but, such a, that's such an apropos term. Now you know why. It's it's the greatest. The, the thing it's that hurt the NFL the most and has helped the NFL the most is 
fantasy football, which now goes into fantasy baseball because now it's we. It's this is my team. These are my guys. This is the ownership side, right? Like it, it destroys any aspect of teamwork and the team perspective because it's all about what did this player do for me? But yeah, the whole concept of we in any professional sport, I laugh, you know, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. The only team that's a we, just for the record, is the Green Bay Packers. Because as a shareholder, I am part owner of that team. So I am one of the rare people that can say, and us fellow shareholders can say we. How many shares do you have? I have enough. But I do not have enough to choose who we're going to draft. But um, that's a whole other journey. But Do they write write you letters and stuff? Do they say? Oh, yeah. We got the shareholder meeting thing. We had to do it virtually this year. It was like, But the shareholders specifically do not get to there, there's never an aspect of where you get to decide who's who's playing who's starting right who's who we're drafting it's none of that but that's the only team that's a we the rest is just you again classic deluding yourself but here's the thing on the dodgers too that we talked about so as a jaded dodgers fan someone who's born and raised here in la the dodgers have a, haven't won a world series since 88 scott jones 88 i think the phillies have won more than the dodgers since 88 we have we had we won in 2008 yes yeah i think you won two in the recent decades as i recall so 88 unacceptable right now magic johnson rolls in we buy the dodgers we get pick it up out of bankruptcy you know this whole thing and we get to -to back-to-back world series but we don't win so this whole concept of is it better? I think it's better not. If you're not going to win, don't go. That's my thing because you're always the loser. And it's like, oh my gosh, you hearken the Buffalo Bills and all this stuff. So we shared this off air, my favorite Marv Levy quote. He was the coach of the Buffalo Bills that went to four Super Bowls in a row and lost them all. And he said, the best way not to win a Super Bowl is to not go. Yes. <laughs> so dispelling that myth. But I'm on the other side of like, Look, Dodgers, if you're not going to win the World Series, don't bother. Don't even – I love what the New York Giants did, talking about East Coast, right? The Giants have those two wins over the Patriots. But in the preceding years, they didn't even go to the playoffs whatsoever. So it was like, oh, wonderful. This is great. It was like, hey, we're going to show up. Only time we get to the playoffs is when we win the Super Bowl. That's the way to do it rather than this almost, and oh, when we were close. and uh, It's like, for me, don't even bother going if you're not going to win. But give me your thoughts, Scott Kinjo. I totally agree. Okay, I think this is an interesting premise here you have because I, as a Philadelphia guy, like the Eagles, when we won the Super, Bowl, it was great. But we've been like the Eagles have been competitive a lot, right? Getting in the playoffs and you do okay, and then we get knocked out, and you kind of like. So as an Eagles fan, you you kind of just you set yourself up for disappointment, right? I remember when I remember putting when the Super Bowl. That, that's was, why. Is that why you guys would boo Santa Claus? I mean, I still didn't. Understand. Oh gosh, we boo anybody in Philly. I, but I remember when the when we were playing in the Super Bowl, I tweeted out to my friends and put it on Facebook and everything like, "Please pray for our city because win or lose, this city's getting destroyed tonight." <laughs> 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 and so I hope it's happy destruction. I mean, I remember like the two biggest riotous events in Philadelphia were like in 2008, the Phillies won the World Series and then Obama was elected. And, you know, Philly's a pretty liberal town and has a huge African-American population. And so like, you know, the first black president, I mean, it was just like people, the police were greasing. Seriously, they do this here. They grease the street lamps so people can't climb up. (laughs) (laughs) It is, I mean, like Philadelphia is insane. Like people, like, I, I mean, I remember a guy 
a friend of mine during the when the Phillies won, he 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 and another buddy of mine, they were out and like I think they had a, little, a couple drinks and had a few more and they found a tree that was pulled uprooted from its roots and the one buddy dragged slept at my buddy's other buddy's house who's married guy is a big nice three story row home in Philly. And the wife comes down. It's like, why is there a freaking tree in my living room? The guy's sleeping with the tree. And my buddy, the other buddy's like, I wanted to save the tree. <laughs> and this tree with all its roots are spread out in her living room rug. But that's like Philadelphia. I mean, it is. So I, I think I agree with you. I think that if you, this is like Scott Norwood, right? The kicker for the Buffalo Bills. What do we know Scott Norwood for? He missed the field goals. Like that's all we know him for. Yep. Not not all the made ones. Again, just the one. And it fair or not, right? It's just like that's that's the mentality of like, look, if you're gonna go all if you're gonna go, go all the way. If not, just bow out. That so that'd be interesting. Like if the Dodgers get to the World Series again and be like, you know, I don't think we have enough horses in the barn or pitching, you know, we're we're just gonna concede. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we fold, we fold. Yeah, we fold. We're out. You guys. Can I don't. Have it. I don't like my hands. Like Texas yeah. them. I don't have yeah. enough bounce. What if they folded? I think that. Can you imagine? Because then you even save face, right? Like, no, you didn't beat us. I just folded. We just folded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could. I could have got the outs. Oh yeah. We could fold. They could fold. I mean, fold. just fold. But the Dodgers are hot right now. Yes, and it, but again, it's all. I think the the big thing, and then we'll we'll end on this note. It's really going to come down to Kershaw because in the last four or five years, and it, it, again, this is why. And actually, I'll drop some knowledge on you. You'll appreciate this, Scott. So, answer this for the questions as we close here. Why do professional athletes make so much money? Because the income is not spread out of your whole life. You can't do you can't do it for forty years. Okay, well, that's an interesting point. But here here's the real reason is because they fail publicly. Oh, that's true too, yeah. They fail publicly. So the reason they get the big money is so all us armchair baseball players can go, oh, yeah, he needs to do this better. He needs to make a throw better. Gosh, if I were right, blah, blah, blah. And there's no, there's no, like we talked about earlier in the show, right? There, There's no way to spin it, right? Like, oh, well, I meant to throw that interception because, no, it's, dude, you lost the game. Scott Norwood, you lost the game. So, there's no spinning. It's you have to face the accountability. You, there's no excuses. You have failed publicly. That's why you're getting big money. And, and actually, most of the people in the world that make the biggest money, i.e. CEOs of the companies, right? Like when Toyota had the meltdown, right? The guy on the, on the floor that was putting in the bad brakes or bad accelerators, he wasn't on the news. Who was on the news? The CEO, right? The yeah. guy, right, failing publicly. You're taking the shots, right? So with that... It has been a challenge for Kershaw, again, to perform well in the playoffs. He sees the last five years, he's great in the regular season and then sucks in the playoffs. So if Kershaw can finally get past that and perform well, then I think the Dodgers can win. And I'm, I'm all for it because all we see about is the highlights of Kirk Gibson from 88 and Lasorda. And I love Lasorda. I got to have a lunch thing with him. Lasorda is great, but it's like, dude, it's time for another championship. 88 was a long time ago. So it's on Kershaw's right arm. He's getting enough money to, he's getting $40 million worth of criticism every year. <laughs> so, Are people in LA into the, I mean, is, is it a Dodgers town? I mean, do people get psyched about it? No, we are jaded. So the, uh, the bandwagon doesn't come out until the world series. And then it's all oh, put the flag up. Then I'll do this. Then oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, 
similar to Philly fans, right? We have a unique reaction to winning, right? Like when the Lakers win, right? Let's burn the town down, right? I think we got that from you guys. Let's burn some cars, right? We won. So, but yeah, no, we are not a, we're a total, total bandwagon. You know, once we're in the World Series, then we'll, you know, bring it out and do all this, but no. But are you guys more of a Lakers town or? Oh yeah, Lakers Raiders. Raiders, no, they're in Vegas, man. Come on. Oh wait, the Raiders are in Vegas now. Yeah, this is this is a Lakers town for sure. Lakers, Lakers. but even then, even then, we're jaded, right? It's the LA thing, right? We show up in the second quarter and we leave uh, halfway through the fourth. <laughs> right. So if, if you ever watch Lakers games on TV, that's why they make it dark because in the first quarter nobody's there. It's like we don't roll into the second quarter. We're like, oh yeah, and then okay, I got to be traffic, <laughs> so I'm out in the middle of the fourth quarter. That's like they do. They do that here. I mean, like oh, you, do they? you leave the game early because okay because. Traffic in Philly is so bad. <laughs> so unless it's tied, like, I mean, you really, and even if it's tied, you can listen to the radio. <laughs> like, right. Like, cause traffic will be so bad. No, that, that goes back to the, the experience of living, right. Of, you know, here's a great quote. We'll end with this. Lifestyle is not something we do. Scott Kent Jones. It's something we experience. And until we learn to be there, we will never master the art of living well. Yes. So if you're going to go to a football game to leave early, to be like, oh, I got to beat the traffic. Think about it. Think about this. I learned this from my my first mentor, Jim Rohn. Think about it. The players don't get to leave early, right? Like in the middle of fourth quarter, they can't go, oh, yeah, we're done. I want to beat the traffic. (laughs) It's like, no, they got to stick it out. So if I'm going to have that experience of going to a game, I am there until well after the game ends, because I want to have that experience. So I appreciate having this experience with you, Scott Kit. This is fantastic. This is potpourri. That's right. Learning, loving, laughing, and sharing the other great podcasts. So all the best to you, my friend. All right, my friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of learning, laughing, and loving with Evan Money and Scott Jones. If you like what you've heard here, please do something for us. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give us a rating. Tell people. Share it on social media. If you found something you love here, share the love and goodness with the world. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.